Welcome to the Department of Homelander Security, the officially unofficial podcast for the boys on Amazon Prime Streaming. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about three episodes. Episode one, episode two, episode three of season two uh, just dropped today, and we're here to give you our full coverage of it. Um, no scene-by-scene scene recap on this first one, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the format of this show up front. Um, yeah. Because we have three episodes to cover today, and that would take an enormous amount of time and really benefit no one. We're going to be doing these not in scene by scene recap style, but in what we call a half-assed podcast, uh, which is where we talk about the various themes and anything we liked or disliked about the episodes and kind of just dispense with the uh, details. Yeah. the the it's, it's essentially all color commentary, no play by play. And yeah. I think it's appropriate because I, I imagine that the vast majority of boys fans are going to do this like we did and just binge the three episodes. Yeah. And then, you know, you got a long week between content. You're going to come on and you're going to be looking for podcasts to like uh, break things down and analyze and speculate. And hopefully we will fill that bill with you. Yeah. And then on episode four, when they start releasing them one per week, we're going to be going into full scene by scene recap and analysis mode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully that'll serve everyone. Yeah, uh, we will uh, be also you... including feedback in future episodes. Um, so so go ahead and, you know, drop us a line at DHS at baldmove.com if you hear anything that you want to comment on or have any questions yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, uh, agreed. Let's get to it. Yeah. What did you think just overall? I mean, we, we kind of talked about this in the previews, but if, if a person jumped right from that or just skipped over that. And want to hear our impressions of the first three episodes. What's your what's your general vibe? The the boys are back in town, man. Uh, you know, it's it's the boys. Like everything that we loved about season one has carried over into season two. It's ultra violent. It's highly stylistic. Um, I, I'm finding a fair bit of of heart in this thing with Huey. I, I'm liking what they're doing with him, uh, and you know some of his. Uh, you know, battles, I guess, you know, battles of will with butcher, um, Mm -hmm. stuff like that is really good. And I'm really enjoying the addition of Giancarlo Esposito who plays Stan Edgars. Cause that to me is one of the most fascinating parts of this show. The idea of a super being like Homelander, who's a psychotic and just trying to wrangle him, control him. Like what, what possible what do you have that can that can deal with this guy if you're just a mere yeah mortal? it's funny because we've been watching the michael jordan the last dance documentary and one of the more entertaining things is seeing like how phil jackson this like famed coach and motivator can keep various disparate people like michael jordan and dennis rodman <laughs> in check like constantly yeah. challenging but constantly checking their egos letting them be the people that like how do you make that those ingredients into a soup well, John, what's John Carl Esposito is doing a Stan Edgar is like that to the nth degree. He's trying to manage Superman, you mm-hmm. know, like keep his ego in check, keep his powers in check. And he's, as far as we know, just a dude. Yeah. And him, first of all, he's one of the few people that you could put up there. And I would believe that like Homelander would at least think twice right. before he would just go right to ripping his head off. Um, one of the few actors that's that got that much gravitas and that just much dead face menace. Right. Him, um, Anthony it, Hopkins, like there, there are yeah. a handful of people. Sure. There's a few, there's a few you could, you could probably think of, but also it just injected a much needed level of intrigue 
into this season. Yeah. Um, because like this season pr- comes back, it's got all the dark humor. It's got all the full body explosions. It's got all the r- just ridiculous shit that, that happened in the first season. Uh, Carl Urban is still a, a ton of fun to watch as Billy Butcher. Uh, the team, the boys themselves are kind of rounding them in the shape and having, uh, you, you know, personalities that I care about and interactions, relationships I care about. But yeah, like adding, cause Elizabeth Shue's energy with Madeline was kind of like someone who was it was a downward spiral like she kept on increasingly desperate efforts to keep Homelander engaged and, and enthralled and subdued and she was running at the end of her rope of what she could do what she could offer him yeah whereas you know now you've got somebody who's like just yeah again every single time they have like a show off a showdown and it happens i think three once per episode in early going at least there's definitely a a significant one in the first one significant one in the third one yeah the energy just like it just really crackles between the two Mm -hmm. uh and feels really like it 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 elevates the material so i'm i'm really excited about season two I, i can't wait to see where things go um, we should probably get right into it because I'm gonna start talking about in you know my general kind of like wrap up kind of questions, uh, big picture kind of questions. Yeah, right. If I keep going, okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I, I don't know how deep in the minutia you want to go, but like one of the things in episode one that I, I kind of should have seen coming, uh, or or should have like inferred from watching it is th- there's there's a screen when the deep is like drinking himself stupid at a bar. Uh, mm-hmm. he's watching this screen and he's getting angry about it. And at the bottom, you can see in the little ticker, it says that, you know, whatever is streaming live on Vodify. <laughs> did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Like hashtag Vodify. I didn't see Vodify. No, they have like their own streaming platform, I guess, like a Disney plus or whatever uh, called yeah. Vodify. It's like, it's like Marvel IRL streaming. Yeah. I, I thought or that was DC, like, okay, yeah, that makes total sense for this corporation to have that uh, given, you know, what they do. Yeah, um, and, I like the whole mercantile nature of the show is like a big draw for me. Like, you know, it's it's there. It's ever present in episode one or it's in the very fabric of the show. But like the idea that these superheroes are just as much product as they are people is, you know, it's probably not too far off from the life of a super celebrity, but also they mm-hmm. are superheroes, which makes it a little even weirder uh, and more interesting. Yeah. And it's it's also got a lot of you know we talked about the last dance documentary. It's also got a lot of like professional athletes. Too. Yeah, yeah. Especially with Adrian, and it's right? a little, it's a little bit of rock star. It's a little bit like you know, uh, it, it's a little bit of movie star. It's like all those mm-hmm. kind of fascinating things put together. Um, you want to stick with the deep a little bit because I sure. really he's a what he's providing a lot of the comic relief. Yeah. Which is wild because I remember how much we hated him last year and how much, you know, because he was a real shit. Uh, he's and some like, of our characters all, still hate him. As, as for good reason. And he had all the, like, you know, just baseline redundance kind of, like, lameness of Aquaman. And then you make Aquaman a sexual predator. Mm-hmm. And then you have him not handle, like, life out of the limelight very well. But I, I just enjoyed, like, how far he's fallen. Like, he's getting kicked out of, like, a TGI Fridays because he's he's like, hey, they cut me out. That's my shoulder. They cut me out of the picture of the seven. Yeah. And then it's juxtaposed with, like, them literally cutting him out of the bronze statue. 
that, that's like there's <laughs> some construction going on because they were nice. they're replacing uh was it the lantern i think it was the guy who is retired or left the, and why starlight came in season one they were like putting mm. the finishes touches on that but then there's this dude with like an angle grinder cutting the deep out of that bra that big brass or bronze statue i thought that was uh. that was a lot that was pretty entertaining um him getting arrested at the water park where yeah, he's yeah. at like a splash mountain. He's like, you think water's fun? You should try being down in the Mariana Trench where it's just cold and dark and crushingly alone. Um, and then he gets caught into this. I, I think it's 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 uh, it's certainly a Scientology spoof. Uh, yeah, so it's when, called The Church when, of the Collective. It's Church of the Collective. When she offers him the book, it literally looks like the Dianetics book, which is the L. Ron Hubbard Science Manual for Scientology. Um, she's talking to him. She's shit talk. Because at first I thought, I was like, oh, he's just going to get therapy. I'm like, well, this is really interesting. But then she started shit talking therapy. And I'm like, oh, right. This is mm-hmm. just a Scientology spoof. Um, yeah, but like, there's a I lot like of. seeing uh, Gretchen from Breaking Bad in this scene yeah yeah she's she was really good as this ther- like not therapist i guess a scientology auditor mm-hmm. i love how like there's something sinister going on with fresca like yeah yeah i is this like the the ingratiation period where they're just trying to make them like him but it's specifically Fresca. He shows up at the, at the jails like, hey, man, how? Uh, I'm glad I can get you out of here. Have a Fresca. He comes in with like two cases of Fresca later on. And like when yeah. uh, in like episode three, when the deep starts wigging out, uh, the therapist gives him. Well, the auditor gives him another Fresca. Um, but Th- there's also just like 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 when the eagle was talking about his traumatic experiences. Like, you know, I found out that one dark day that a quiver can only hold so many arrows. And when I ran out and then he started getting caught up and like, and when you think about it, I got arrows and these other guys got tech nines. And then he corrects and he catches himself. I I just like that stuff is, is, is really funny. Um, And I can see an almost unlimited amount of the deep getting come up. It's for being such a shit last year. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't know really, what the Fresca really deal is. I, I almost feel like I'm not remembering, like, in season one, he loves Fresca or something. Like, th- I think it's a Scientology line, thing. But... And, like, that. here's the thing. Like, I don't... It's like a cool. I know there's a lot of... There's a peculiar... Well, maybe that's what it is. Because I was thinking, like... Because I know there's a lot of peculiar things about Scientology. And there's a lot of this stuff, like, just parodied right up front like you and they talk about his operating levels versus the scientology operating thetans suppressive Mm -hmm. energy versus suppressive persons um i know that like scientology gets behind like pet projects uh like if any you know l ron hubbard's book gets optioned for a movie they buy out whole theaters to make sure that it has a good opening and and stuff like that to make sure the local libraries are stocked Mm -hmm. i wonder if there's like some kind of special they don't uh, some kind of special relationship with a product like are they big on fago that's that's more uh, of insane clown posse and like this is right. a spoof of that or but you might be right it might just be like cults what are cults known for drinking kool-aid well what will be the funny kool-aid for this show be fresca yeah i don't know um see what they do with it but yeah, yeah i liked it and this this idea of like eagle came to terms with with his thing by like saying oh well archery is a timeless art and it's got some value in that regard and then like right no yeah. but ultimately it's useless come on <laughs> as as superpowers go it's a pretty lame one yeah it's a, and in, uh, you know that's that's long been kind of a whipping boy on the marvel side is how right. this useless hawkeye is and uh this is just like you know hawkeye coming to grips with like him being the seventh wheel 
Not even the seventh. He can't even, can't even make the seven. No. Um, I want to talk about Stan Edgar, played by Giancarlo Esposito, because we we talked about a lot of uh, talked a lot about him in the beginning. But I thought it was really effective in this episode how his showdown with Homelander was foreshadowed by him just running roughshod over these people from the federal government sent to negotiate. And he's just yeah. like, uh, you know, well, in combat, who are these heroes going to report to? And he's like, me, of course. And then he's like demanding his Yankee white security designation, which I believe is the security clearance you need to get into the Oval Office. Like, hmm. if you don't have okay. those YW things on your badge, the social, the secret, the social security, <laughs> social security administration will fucking kneecap you. Oh, yeah. That that Yankee white, uh, but the social, the Secret Service will will gank you if you don't have that. And then he's like, "Whoa, you just want to stroll into the White House and start barking orders?" And he's like, "Well, hell yes." It shouldn't be a surprise that he takes on the actual most powerful man in the world if he's going to go against like the most powerful government in the world. Yeah. Um. um so this is where I'm a little disappointed in the show. Uh, and really? it's not it's not the stuff they're showing us, but it's the stuff they're not showing us because I feel like mm. there has to be in this scenario a lot of pants shitting going on in the U.S. government uh, when you're facing down a power that could just totally override whatever power you think you have. They mm. should be actively working against this threat that they see in the Vought Corporation and these these superheroes. Uh, and it doesn't feel like they're doing anything. It feels like they are the dumb fucks who are just like going, okay, I guess we'll do whatever you say. That's not the U.S. government. Yeah, but I think, so, I think this is a world-building note that maybe we, either they didn't do a very good job of in season one or because we weren't doing full coverage in season one, we didn't do a very good job of, like, picking up on, but, like, uh, Giancarlo in this his epic confrontation with Homelander at the end of this episode mentions that, you know, Vought's been important to the U.S. government since World War II with Soldier Boy, which I think you're supposed to understand mm-hmm. is broadly Captain America, and he smashed the Nazis and the Axis powers and... You know, like that's began the working relationship of the United States government and Vought. And the boys, you're supposed to understand, is this clandestine organization that the U.S. government has to keep a check on them, to clean up after the collateral damage, which apparently is up to 34 percent acceptable in like a city scale. Right. Uh, But but they've done that. But this is you're supposed to understand that this is like the end of a 75 year old slippery slope. And these federal government folks are literally the last vestiges of trying to resist the power of these superheroes and Homelander manufacturing this super terrorist threat has got them to where they feel like they have to capitulate. So it's like, it's not like overnight these guys showed up. It's like, this is a long cold war that has gone on between Vought and the U S government and the U S government's ready to, you know, privatize national security. Um, Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I felt like I caught a lot more of that on the second watch of like, you know, like listening to the world building of like, oh, OK, so like, you know, because there's like a lot to process. There's the fact that uh, the founder of Vought was a Nazi scientist. He was like the Dr. Mingala of the Dachau Labor Center. And he made this compound V very early in that war, which that I feel like that's interesting because V doesn't have anything to do with heroes. Right. But it does have a similarity to the V2 rocket, which is how we got oh, uh, just the letter, you Warner mean? Von Braun. Right. The, the, all the Nazi moon guys that we got from the, the, the rocket science department of Nazi Germany mm-hmm. and put us on the moon. Like there's a lot of, anal- you know, kind of analogies pointing to that kind of stuff. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I really like that. I really like those scenes and uh, juxtaposed with a hero that we haven't seen a lot, Black Noir. Mm-hmm. Like him single-handedly taking down that super-powered terrorist cell and tanking. Like, as I was a, a Black Noir was like a slightly super-powered Batman, but he tanks like a tactical nuke strike from this guy. Yeah. Um, Which surprised me. And he's me. also... Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like also psychologically fucked up and i'm wondering how much they're playing that with like batman being this little lost little boy because Mm -hmm. he's got this like inappropriate trying to bond did you so when he was fucking around with the rabbit with the kid the the terrorist kid was that him being thoughtless and cruel or is that him trying to be like oh there's a kid and he's scared so i'm going to try to like do some kind of thing to make him feel at ease like you know I, I can't get it. And then it later was so on, weird that I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. And there's later on. I can't I can't remember if it's this episode or the next one where when it gets out into the public that V is, you know, an engineered thing. Clearly, Black Noir was not one of the ones in on that joke because you right. see him like sobbing as there's this. He's watching this news thing on a thing about like the harmful psychological effect of children taking V. And I'm thinking like. Bruce Wayne, except for if he wakes up and realizes that all of his pain that he thought he went through and his orphan story was like some kind of government backstory. And they just nah, they just gave him a Batman pill and like all this yeah, stuff and- that he's done is is engineered and he had no say in it and was sanctioned at the very least by his parents. Right. Like that's that's the implication here. And I think that's one of the implications that they go with. Um, shit, which which character is it? They They make a couple of quick shots that allude to that. I know that Maeve was like mad that her, her father's being interviewed. This might be what yes, you're talking about. That was it. He's like, I had yep. no idea. And she's like, no idea. My ass. You, right. you know, like there's all this frustration of like child actors and child. You uh, took me to figures. those mall pageants and like you were on top right. of that shit. You're telling me you didn't know I was being injected with stuff. Bullshit. Right. Right. Or you didn't even yes yeah. yeah, sign it. So um, it's, I, I, I thought that stuff was really, interesting and also just seeing black noir get the work like slight cut that woman's throat and like caught the blood in this cup and then caught the like this crazy acrobatic catching of the cup and he ripped a man's head in half Mm -hmm. like a bloater from the last of us it's gruesome shit yeah i love it i love it uh going back real quick to stan edgar and and homelander and their whole Uh like you know control battle the, the battle for uh primacy here this is the most fascinating part of this show to me because oh yeah it's it's you know it's brains versus brawn and you have to wonder okay how smart is homelander we've seen he's actually pretty damn smart um and he he when you're fucking with him he gets that you're fucking with him for the most part and occasionally like these people will have an edge over him madeline stillwell had this psychological hold over him yeah. Right, because yeah, he's he's not as developed uh, mentally as maybe he should be uh, mm-hmm. for a man his age, but he doesn't have to be because he's super powered. Um, yeah. And then with Stan Egger, I, d- I don't know how like super smart they're going to make him or whatever, or if he has superpowers, but like this idea that he could somehow control Homelander via just essentially just his will um, and ex- exerting like a mental psychological hold on him is going to be interesting, especially when you throw in a child and I'm, this is like one of those compounding things where like, okay, Homelander now knows he has a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can see in the speeches he's giving to his kid, like 
he's got a certain vision for what that future is going to be with him and his child. He's grooming him. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be the the Darth Vader and the Luke Skywalker and rule the the Empire together, you know? like Yeah, it's father and son. Yeah, it's it's... But at the same time, that kid can be leverage for someone else over Homelander, right? And yeah. and if you can control the kid, which Becca seems to be able to do in some regard, you can right. potentially control Homelander. And I wonder if they're going to lean into that, you know, because like Vought has been controlling this kid for a very long time, right? Vought has their hooks deep into him. It, it's going to be interesting to see that power dynamic play out between Edgar with control of the child and homelander who wants the child to be something else yeah and i also wonder like that that's the something we talked about in the preview is like does does edgar have a trump card and you you i I thought maybe he might have some you know he took a v himself on the sly does he have the leverage over his kid that we don't know about because we know that these this uh these organization is keeping you know contact of becca and has cameras in her Mm -hmm. and they know more about her schedule than she does so that's an interesting thing. Or also, it could just be that, like, if all he's got is leverage, I hope he's not misunderstanding that Homelander's smart, but he also operates in ways that are not necessarily in his long-term best interest. Because I thought this episode did a pretty good job yeah. of showing that Homelander honestly regrets killing Madeline. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's going through her old house, and or not his old house, her old office, and he finds her mini-fridge that still has some breast milk, and he's gulping that. Like uh, The way he, he sticks his tongue into that bottle, so disturbing. Oh, Such and a Anthony great Starr, job. Like, that's the thing. He just swings for defenses. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, he God, was on Banshee it. doing ridiculous shit for years, and now he's got this high-profile thing. He's doing such a great job of showing a man who's like, you know... It felt really good to burn that bitch's eyes out of her skull sockets, but ah, I kind of miss what my mommy... Yeah. My weird psychosexual mommy. So, like, it's entirely possible that Homelander would do something that would threaten his son and get him killed and 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 regret it. But on the other hand, you know, Stan Edgar is reduced to atoms. Right. Uh, so it's like, I, I, I hope he has a little bit of some kind of backup other than leverage because, mm-hmm. you know, Madeline had her holds on him, too. And it didn't amount for a hill of beans in the final analysis. Yeah, um, fair. No, but it's the most fascinating part of the show to me. Yeah. I really liked, you know, they do, they, again, this, this stuff isn't subtle. It's very hit you between the eyes with a hammer kind of commentary. But I liked the funeral for Translucent and how it was shot kind of like it was a mixture of a campaign rally and like a, a schlocky telethon. Right. Um, and how Homelanders is expertly playing the media and the American people, like leaning into this patriotism that's a it's false patriotism care for human beings that's a false care and everything is just being like apparently translucent's dying words are get to terrorist Homelander for me you know like and then they have right. starlight coming in singing the schmaltzy song it's just so fucking terrible and they do even this thing where they show the media working with the superheroes like hand and glove because like the chirons you get the idea that they were they're they're matching up like instantly like as starlight does a point the chiron underlines it but there's one point where the chiron comes like a second early (laughs) as if like the media is just essentially repeat you know they've already got this material it's all been approved it's being put out like this is all like a hell of I, I, you know, I, one of the things that was impressed me is like more and more you see whenever you have a fake news organization, it's essentially, you know, you don't have like 
BNN, you have with with Wolf Blitz Mitzer, you actually have CNN with Wolf Blitzer in the universe. And I that drives me crazy. It's like, come on, you're a journalist. They have like fake news organizations and stuff, but like I, I'm gonna have to pay more attention. One of them might be VNN or something. They might be owned by Vought. Um, yeah, be, because be. they're just definitely yeah, like they've infiltrated all these levels and have this stranglehold over the American culture. Yeah, um, I thought that stuff was like really cool instances of world building. Uh, the other thing that struck me about episode one, um, and it didn't strike me until the very end when Butcher walks back mm-hmm. in. I'm like, fuck mm. yeah, Butcher is back. But also right. it caused me to to pause and say, hey, I actually didn't miss Butcher in that episode. Like, I'm glad he's back. I think it's awesome. And I love Carl Urban in his, this role. Mm-hmm. But episode one held up without him. Like, yeah, really well. In fact, it felt the boys felt a little bit more balanced because there was debate. There was, yeah. you know, some discussions back and forth between them. They were building a relationship away from Butcher, so when they brought Butcher back in, it felt like a destabilization and like a step backwards right. a little bit, which is as, and as fantastic as I think. Yeah, yeah, and as fantastic, I think, as Carl Urban is, like, that's a really cool dichotomy to set up, though, like, get him out of the picture long enough for Huey to think that, and he's got this all this crazy rationalization, like, well, maybe I could be like John Connor, where you don't think I'm just an annoying teenage brat, but it turns out I'm I'm secretly awesome. <laughs> And like mother's milk and like Frenchie kind of like skeptically processing that claim. But shit, you know, that's kind of who they are, right? They're not superpowers, but they're superpowered, but they're kind of awesome. Um, Yeah. And and putting the boys into this reduced level where they're forced to being the medic and the gun runners for this mob organization. They're living in a literal sewer Mm -hmm. uh, and they're on the run. All of them are wanted criminals because Vought has made sure that they are the blame for Madeline's death and they're the blame for all the stuff that's gone wrong um i thought that stuff was a really good touch and we also found some let's speaking of the background television madeline's baby blown clear from that blast and was recovered in a yard like 17 miles away so okay. we've got a confirmed super baby right am i misremembering or did homelander do that because, right, he got Butcher out. Oh, maybe. I feel like Homelander might have snatched Butcher and the baby. I guess he's fast enough he could probably do both, like, in some kind of crazy Flash kind of way. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe you're right. But I, I interpret it as, like, because I thought Homelander just didn't give a shit about the baby because he was jealous of the baby. So he saved Butcher, and then you're, the implication was that the baby was just flown free and survived. <laughs> it would have been, yeah. You it would know. have to be a super baby if that's true. Yeah, so like I wonder if there's going to be something that comes of this baby later on. Yeah, um, could be. It's still it's still in the plot, so they want us to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- th- that's also so you said you really like what they're doing with Huey. It's one of the things yeah. I don't like. Um, I I as I mentioned in the preview, I think it's something they can build, and if he if he can successfully turn into some kind of John Connor badass or. They can derive some comic value out of that. It'll be, but like right now, he's just so hapless. And one of the things that I am sick unto death at 43 years of old uh, age is seeing characters lie to each other. Um, And this is like to the nth degree because Starlight's uh, like saying, 
I it, they're, 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 they started early because like they're kind of vibing and they're meeting each other in secret on the subway and their legs are kind of like touching. There's this physical intimacy. And then you, they also do this establishing shot of like Huey's just sitting down there in the sewer making himself sick, watching her doing all these glitzy appearances. There's kind of like this Hollywood faux relationship that they're forcing on her and Homelander. So they're looking like they might be canoodling and she's meeting yeah. all these other handsome people that are playing superheroes at, and he's jealous, and that jealousy turns her off. And then, you know, she gets him dead to, dead to rights in this episode, or maybe it's the next one. And she says, essentially, like, don't lie to me. I know when you're lying to me. I can tell it when you... And he just, again, to protect her. But again, she's bulletproof. I, I Yeah, it's a, she's it's a big girl. She can make her own decisions. I, I don't know why he's trying to protect her. We talked about it with some of the fucked up shit that goes on in the show. Um what do you think of Gecko Starlight's contact uh, f- from her old capes for Christ days, which is another thing I love this kind of like Heartland Red State superhero shit that their their mythology they're building. Um, yeah, Gecko, really interesting use of regenerative <laughs> powers. Yeah, I, I I feel like Gecko shouldn't have to live in the shadows. I feel like Gecko should be able to do it. How how is this different than a fire breather? How is this different than? person who you know works in the circus putting pins through their cheeks uh to demonstrate you know i'm the man with no pain like okay it's superpower i I feel like he shouldn't have to 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 be this bdsm hooker thing that he's got going like why can't you do this on a stage in front of a hundred thousand people you know because it's it's clearly his fan base was built amongst conservative christians and just like you know the fan base (laughs) Well, it's funny because like right now in the news, we got this Jerry Fal the Jerry Falwell yeah. Jr. or some someone that's like you know he's is loves getting cucked or something. I, I don't something. know because I, I don't really I don't really give a shit about people's sex life. Like that's I'll let the conservative I mean. Christians clutch their pearls for that. That's but what like I mean. he is you know like he's out on this like where he's kind of cobbled together this living of maybe going mall to mall and signing autographs and also doing lab. He's clearly. He's clearly at a lower tier where he's he's a working superhero, man. He's he's sure. um, letting them put his eyes out for testing shampoo and cut limbs off to do all this other stuff. He's doing the BDSM hooker stuff on the side. Um, he he could thousand- he could have a booth at every Comic Con. He could he could go around and just say, "This is the chop chop my arm off booth," right? Like, I wonder what the law would say about that. Like. If you intentionally maim some, it'd be kind of like uh, no harm no for foul. him. It's like getting it's like getting your hair cut, right? Right. Like if you had like hair that could instantly regrow, and you let people style it and you know cut it for a fee. Mm-hmm. But and I he, feel he's like clearly I, like either doesn't care about the pain and has felt it so much it's not a problem, or doesn't feel yeah. the pain. I was wondering which I I don't know that we'll ever see this guy again, but I was kind of wondering that because he was wincing a bit, but also could just because blood was spraying him in the face. It was a (laughs) crazy scene. That dude just hacking at his arm with a machete. Um, I wonder if he charges more to have an emotional effect about it. Oh, it depends on the body part, too. That's true. Because I. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you a leg guy, an arm guy? Do you want to do 400 for the arm, a thousand for the dick? Apparently. Yeah. 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 but I don't know. Like, and also, like, is that guy going to eat his arm? Because he said, "I get to take it home, right?" Like, what I is? I thought it was more of a souvenir. I, I, I yeah, hope the guy's not going to eat his arm. That's where I draw lines. I bet you if you if you do a Venn diagram, the set amount of people that want to hack off a person's limb in a bloody fashion, and a set of people that want to try human flesh, 
they overlap a little bit. At least. Like, I'm not sure if it's w- one out of 10 the customers go for the dick upgrade, and of those, one out of three eats it. But, mm-hmm. like, it, there's some ratio of numbers there. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I, I thought the Gecko was um, a really good kind of world building fucked up detail. And also, it's a window to, like, Starlight getting a little bit hard because yeah. she just uses him mm-hmm. completely after, like, after she fluffs him up and kind of like he's clearly delighted to see her again. And they had this history. I actually like the detail like, Oh, you're the best Jesus uh-huh. at the, like they used to do like literal passions where they'd nail him to a cross Nobody and some shit take like that pins through the hands like him. <laughs> um, but yeah, she just uses this guy. Um, yeah. I wonder if, uh, if we do see him again, I imagine it's going to be like Homelander peeling his face off for retaliation of, of stealing the V, but yeah, that's um, the stuff I'm liking with. Um, I, I like that part of, of Huey's storyline, too. So the, the main thing I like about Huey is this challenge between Butcher and him and, and the heart of the group and all that stuff. But like him and Annie, I think, are developing interestingly as well, because as he's, you know, trying to deal with all the shit that he's dealing with, he's still lying to her. It's pushing her further away. It's pushing her more toward Vought, honestly, like she's having to get hard, like you said, and that's going to take its toll, right? Whether she wants it to or not, whether she thinks she can still remain the innocent uh, Annie that she was before, we see that that's eroding already. Uh, How, how far down that road does she go before she's just a lost cause, you know, especially since like they make a big point about um, perhaps uh, butcher needing Huey as a canary, like a Mm -hmm. moral canary. Um, Creason looks like she doesn't have Huey as that in that role. Um, can't trust him so like what yeah. will stop her I, I wonder because that'd be an interesting way to go like they could redeem Maeve somehow and push Starlight into villainy um, yeah. although it does seem like they have their fair share of you know heroic villains in the show already mm-hmm. um, I like the detail of like the the boys not being really sure if Butcher killed Madeline or not and the baby yeah. they're like eh it's like within his wheelhouse for sure. Maybe it's a little extreme to kill a civilian like that. But on the other hand, um, and like Huey has this stabbing at taking the like, like, like leadership or real leadership. He's got this plan. You know, we're going to steal the V. We're going to mm-hmm. send it over to the authorities. Uh, let's contact the CIA lady. And then Frenchie shits his pants when the the um, uh, Miss Rayner, the CIA handler's head, literally explodes right as we we're about to get some like real tantalizing information. Um, yeah. Also, it's not entirely clear to me, and it feels a little convenient for um, the the terrorists that the smuggled into the country to be the linchpin at this investigation. Everything kind of revolves around, and somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, What's her name? Uh, uh, Makima. The his uh, the the Kamiko oh, Kamiko yeah. the the deaf the the mute woman um, is like embroiled in that too. I'm wondering mm-hmm. how they're going to make that satisfying, especially when we when we get to where we leave everything at the at the end of episode three here. Um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, uh, introduction of Butcher was great. Like this guy just getting knocked down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, and saying, uh, you know, it's yeah, it's it's a real mess, but don't you worry, Daddy's home again. Mm-hmm. Fucking love Car- Carl Urban in this. Um, the last big thing that happens this episode is the introduction of Stormfront. Um, 
if you know anything about storm the word stormfront and the city of portland currently you might have an inkling about where this character is going um but technically that stuff isn't revealed until episode three so we'll let it go what she how does she how did she present to you when she first walked onto the stage did they did they even do this in in episode one i thought they did this in episode what? two because they do it after they get to the the blind superhero right uh-huh yeah we didn't talk about the death of the blind superhero but like yeah no it happens in this episode for sure seriously okay because episode two is her kind of like jaunt media jaunt with uh, Starlight, and then episode three is her turn to darkness. Hmm. All right. Sorry. Uh, what did I think? Let me about ask Starla? the question again about yeah. Stormfront? Just say like, how did she? How did when she walked in? Like, what did you think about her presentation? Uh, I was a fan in the beginning. Um, it's easy to be a fan of someone who's calling bullshit on bullshit, uh, yeah. and she's definitely doing that with Vought. You know, obviously, by the third episode, I think she's a reprehensible, disgusting person. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm completely off the Stormfront train. Uh, but, yeah, I like how they introduce her. And she's such a counterpoint to the rest of the superheroes that I'm actually, like, not even sure. The biggest question mark I have in my head about Stormfront is why Stan Edgar wants her in there. Because mm. she's so, so off brand for the seven. Um, and he personally put her in there. And so to me, it's like, oh, is he trying to disrupt Homelander's flow? Is he trying to give something for Homelander to fixate on so that in the background yeah. he can be doing his Stan Edgar shit and Homelander can be distracted? That's my best guess um, as and to why from he a would brand put her perspective, in You know, like they, they, there's a throwaway joke in the last season of Rick and Morty where they're talking about buying some consumer thing. And it's like, you know, you should buy the time train, buy the time train. Not buying the time train is an act of buying the time train. Okay. Yeah. Like she could be all the people like, you know what? Fuck the seven. They're too corporate. And they're like, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Too well, what if you yeah. bring in like a Dennis Rodman into the seven? And now it's like, oh, man, Stormfront might go to Vegas and, you know, mm-hmm. d- d- do a wrestling match in the middle of a sh- supervillain showdown. Like That's like I'm invested. I didn't give a care about because she when she Fair. came on the stage, like you know, she seemed like. um very much like very millennial, very almost mm. social justice warrior or progressive. And like she's shitting on corporations and all these fakers and seems like she's pretty like pro, you know, girl power, but in like a religious, like a sincere way and not like a fake kind of, um, you know, strong female roles kind of way. Um, and they subvert that for sure um, by oh, the yeah. end of the third episode. But I just I don't know I I like that the fact that um, I don't there's there's this new Ashley kind of mousy um, Madeline figure that Homeland completely subverts into his creature and like one thirty second terrifying scene yeah. and I liked like how terrified she was that like when Homelander like turns his laser beams on her and's like oh we've got a new because he just executed the deaf guy mm-hmm. and now we've got this and he said you know he's very down on having any kind of like another female or ethnic person and now there's another female on the team and his just kind of impotent rage with this uh, Stan Edgar uh I, I I thought it's 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 another great check on him. Yeah. Okay. We should probably move on to the second episode. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, it's called proper preparation and planning. Um, and I believe that's that's from the the complete phrases proper preparation and planning prevents piss poor performance. Okay. Um, which P-P-P-P-P-P. 
yeah, I think this is like uh, uh, this is the opposite because there is no prior planning and there is a lot of piss poor performance here. Yeah, yeah, um, and and all that preparation, you know, that that I feel like Huey has been trying to do, and you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't quite prepare either. You know, he doesn't think about how they can track him uh, and how like texting might be just as bad as a phone call. Which how could he not? Like, what is he, 65 years old, doesn't understand the text is essentially the same as a phone call and probably worse because it sticks around longer. Like, I feel like they made Huey a little naive in that in that perspective. But Butcher no, is, is worse, little... right? Butcher is seat of the pants. I'm just going to get this shit done and it doesn't matter how or collateral damage. Fuck it all. Let's do it. I mean, Butcher is a little emotionally compromised. And also, they the way Huey is conceived is he's a little bit of like Schrodinger's protagonist. He can have the affect of a 13-year-old or a 75-year-old as the plot did, uh, right. requires. Um, but I like the alpha struggle that him and he, and, and Butcher have yeah. that Huey immediately loses. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much inroads as he did with the other members of the boys in the last episode, when Butcher puts it up straight up, it's like, he's like, what, are we supposed to follow you now that you're back like lemmings? And he's like, well, who else are they going to follow? And, and at this point in the story, that's response. yeah. Um, but I thought it was fascinating, like catching up to like where he'd been. Like apparently, been to Fort Wayne, Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, is where Homelander dropped him off. Why? I uh, don't know. The fact that he like wrote all these basic details on this back of this napkin and the crayon, and that's probably going to be a big thing through the season. But it's also mm-hmm. important thematically uh, to his character, and and at the end of uh, episode three, which we'll get to for a little bit. Um, but I don't know. Like it's it's also cool how they went from Rainer's head blowing up to like getting. I guess this is the this Grace, uh, the Colonel is the former uh director of the uh, the deputy director of the CIA and is the one that I think you're supposed to understand recruited Butcher personally and yeah. kind of started the boys division way back when. But she does kind of play a important, almost MacGuffin role in this series of like without her, Butcher is dead in the water. Uh, yeah. But with her, she magically supplies them an address that she thinks this you know terrorist guy is hanging out at. Um, they find uh, they they go in and infiltrate this building, and like uh, Kamiko has been set trying the whole time to explain to her that she's got some connection with this guy. Uh, that is revealed that turns out she's her brother. There's this shining light liberation army, which I'm not sure if they established this last season that she was saved from that organization, but they completely yeah. established it this season that, you know, the, her, both her and her brother were abducted at some point and experimented on with this compound V that apparently Homelander gave to them. And uh, he's got super telekinetic powers. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, which are hands he, based specifically, like he has to move his hands in order to use his powers. Yeah, so it's pretty easy to neutralize him, and and he is neutralized several times with just essentially a roll of duct tape. Yeah, um, I don't think they did a very good job of establishing Kamiko as a character last year, and now they want me to care about her and her brother. And yeah. I kind of get there because it's inherently a sad story, you know. Um, these people uh, that saw their parents die and have, have known nothing but these terrorists holding them and experimenting on them their entire life. It's it's pretty sad and tragic story, but like uh, compared to like Huey and like Butcher's whole deal, it's uh, kind of down there in terms of stakes for me. Yeah, same, same here. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, though I think like one of them being a super terrorist has something to do with it. Um, yeah. Like I... 
I get it. I, I understand all the reasons, right? Why he would do right. the stuff he's done. You know, they, they killed his parents, but then they, um, you know, they gave him superpowers, but they experimented on him. Like that, it's a and also convoluted you know, mix of emotions. But and especially when you think know. about like what America with the seven at its back looks like around the world, and you talk about how yeah. like the screaming demon came from the sky and incinerated their village, like mm-hmm. and their freedom fighters, is... that kind of thing. I yeah, I get it. Yeah, like this is like the the random rage you would feel towards a drone strike, except per- personified into the most. Like, imagine Barack Obama personally was mm-hmm. circling around Afghanistan, lasering people with his eye beams. Like, that's a whole other level of hate to America when it's like it's that personified. And I feel like you're supposed to understand that, like, as as bad as maybe the the shining army, shining light army is, the well, they're fighting. They're giving us the tools to fight these other worse. Uh, mm-hmm. people so uh, yeah it all kind of ethically and morally framework and and all that kind of stuff on the sliding scale that this show works on it all kind of makes sense but again i found that there's a one thing in this episode or these as collection episodes i found hard to kind of engage with i will say that like um this kamiko stuff is kind of the thing that moves the boys relationship forward because butcher is forced to at the end of this episode level with his team Mm-hmm. And kind of like beg them for help and acknowledge that they have every right to tell them to fuck off. Uh, yeah, which I it's guess hilarious to me because it's like at a moment where he realizes that this group is amenable to emotional manipulation. So it's like yeah. how much of this is mm. him seeing, oh, they're responding to Kamiko being part of the group and wanting to help her. So if I open up here, I'm going to have the the ability to manipulate them. It's tough with Butcher to really tell if he's being and and you know MM's like, are you fucking with us right now? Uh, yeah, and so so they're aware of it too. But like, ultimately, I think these guys are good enough that they're going to help Butcher even if he's kind of an asshole. Because you know the situation is fucking bleak. You know, like Becca at the hands of Homelander with the kid in the balance. Like that's mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, especially Mother's Milk seems like he's a pretty family oriented dude. That's that's got to be something that would motivate him. I would think. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, and, you know, it, with Frenchie, like, being, uh, you know, realizing, oh, that's Kamiko's brother and, like, mm-hmm. all that stuff is all tied in. And I think that it works really well, right? They're bringing... I do, too. This, thematically, they're kind of connecting all these characters together. And it's it's making it feel like they're starting to come together as a group, even with the personalities that are so outblown, like Butcher even he yeah. is starting to come around and understand we're a group. Uh, you want to talk about Homelander and his uh, weird parental role that he's playing in his kid's life? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. W- they reveal something about the Homelander and Becca has a deal that's implied that she cooperates with him and isn't an asshole and he doesn't kill Billy. Yeah. Billy yeah, Butcher. I think so. Um, um, so that explains why he got dropped off in the middle of BFE. Um, yeah, but I, that's interesting that then they also when Homelander, cause she takes off at some point, drops his kid off, uh, at the piano lessons and makes a desperate drive over to this government research facility or Vought owned research facility and kind of begs them for help. And they say, no, pound sand. Yep. We are, we have gotten orders not to antagonize Homelander <laughs> and he'll get bored and move on. 
And he'll get, yeah, he'll probably get bored and move on after he kills you or your kid. Um, <laughs> but when Homelander's going through her like intimate drawer, her secret intimate drawer, it does imply that like she's still, you know, carries a torch for for Butcher. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. That's a really good. I thought that was a really good scene of having Homelander in their house and doing that, drinking their milk. His this dude milk man. Like <laughs> it's that gross. comes from a cow titty, it. dude. Uh, but but yeah, like I, the the effective. And then seeing the corporation watch Homelander through the cameras that are put in her house, I thought that was all really creepy and off-putting and uh, done done well. Especially since she, as a mom, is trying to provide as much normalcy for his child. Like you know, she's doing all this terrifying work while he's fucking around with the piano teacher. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah, and then that conversation he has with his kid, uh, you know, the conversation about isolation and their superpowers and stuff like that is disturbing. Um, you know, it's, he's effectively like telling this, I don't know. It's interesting to me to see the isolation as experienced by a a being who's superior to literally everyone else on the planet. Um, and, and how he's trying to connect the dots there between what that feels like and what it feels like to be isolated because your mother is keeping you in a bubble. Um, yeah, it's like there's a legit in emotional inroad here for him to make some progress in, in changing his son into what he wants him to be. Uh, and I think he scores a point when he says, you know, what do you think this kid is going to think when he understands the life you forced him to live is so limited? Yeah. How do you think these powers work though? That's something I was speculating. Cause like, do you think the kid knew that he was super this whole time and was going along with his mom's plan just because, he was afraid of his own potential or things like that? Or do you think it's like something that has to be like some kind of strong emotional outburst has to happen? I know that's kind of like a, that's an X-Men trope. Like you get your mutant powers at some time in your adolescence, but it's usually some kind of like really strong emotional thing that, that brings it out like a first kiss or a, a fight with a bully or your parents screaming at you or something like that. Uh, yeah. I don't think they really give us any answers on that uh, hmm. in this show yet, but because like Butcher was able to use a baby like a laser gun, <laughs> just squeeze it a little. Last yeah. season, yeah, just kind of <laughs> ee, ee, ee. like so. It's like maybe it's uh, when she says, "I've tried to give him as normal as a life as possible." Like that's means something. Like I've tried yeah. to keep him as calm. Everything is rational. Everything and, and probably getting she's probably getting some help from the lab rats because I wonder if that's the thing is like that they themselves don't know if this stuff is inheritable. Like, you know, we use okay. with the we put the syringe into the baby's ass and its eyes start glowing. If it this is a true genetic, you know, transference, that might be something that they're intrigued by. Because uh, yeah. there's gotta be a reason that they are going along with this kind of like and, and even Homelander picked it up when she says we decided he should have as normal life as possible. Who's we? Mm-hmm. Uh She's not talking about Butcher, I don't think. I don't think Butcher's no. had contact with her since she went missing. So it must be yeah. these scientist types. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, uh, but you're right. He does have a genuine emotional inroad with this kid, and his. And in fact, it'd be, if he shows up two years later and this kid's a punk teenager, he might have a real easy time of turning him. Yeah, you know? yeah. She's she's been through the easy kid years, right? As far as uh, figuring out what will uh, satisfy them and control them. Yeah, yeah. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Where do you want to go next? The deep? Yeah, let's do it. It's pretty good. Beep, beep. It's time for the deep. He's deep in the Fresca cult and goes deep into a, a, a cup of mushroom, I guess, tea. <laughs> I'm not sure what hallucinogenic. Um, but it leads to the, I, I remember that it's been speculated for a long time, not speculated, but revealed that uh, Patton Oswalt had some kind of cameo role this season. Yeah. And this is it. This is it. When he's on this uh, <laughs> uh, mushroom tea, he's listening to the Goo Goo Dolls, and suddenly his gills start talking to him. Mm-hmm. I love and it. And he, 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 he breaks through a lot of shit. You know, like uh, how far this goes back and how self-conscious he is about his mutation and what people think about it and how, I mean, none of this stuff excuses people for their maladaptive behaviors, but it's interesting that they explore the space of like his humiliating and threatening women comes from a place of fear of humiliation and being made small himself. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the psychology first. Yeah, I don't know if the psychology and all that kind of checks out, but thematically it it works for the character where now he has to he has to come to the grips of what he feels about himself and the ugliness that he has inside so that he can, you know, be as 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 beautiful and as attractive to people and as good of a person as he clearly wants to be. Yeah. Um and I don't is it this episode or is it next episode where they're singing together? Uh, it's this episode. I, you it's are this, so the, beautiful. The, and that's the thing is like this really threads the needle and walks that tightrope between being just irredeemably ridiculous and right. kind of profound and meaningful. And I felt like that song at the end was just the right balance of like <laughs> bittersweet, but also just ridiculous, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I, I liked it. I, I like what they're. This carries over into next episode too, um, because they're they're still like they're going to put him right back on this train. And I guess the question is, how is he going to deal with it? Because in the next episode, you know, he comes in to try and save the day with the whale, and the first thing that happens once that whale gets uh, done in, Homelander lands and says, "Your gills are showing. Cover them up. They're disgusting." Right. So like, th- this mm-hmm. is not just internal, but it's also external. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing that they're going to say about this is like it all feeds back into each other right yeah 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 for sure so there there, that's the comic relief for the episode um Maeve is interesting backstory they reveal that she is uh lesbian Mm -hmm. Uh, she had a lover that she cared a a lot about but she broke things off and kind of went cold turkey on her because she was terrified at another one of these manufactured relationships for the media and she got into one with Homelander and she tells this horrifying story of being at an Oscar party where a Hollywood producer like pulled some rank and they have her sit next to him and flirted with him. And then they found his head detached from his body a few days later. And apparently Homelander is the one that did the detaching. Um, yeah. 
I it's interesting because there's so many questions I have. Like, is this a sham relationship um, from Homelander's perspective too, or did they have some kind of sexual relationship that she was forced to do, which is horrifying? Um, or was it like he didn't care about her, but he didn't want to be publicly humiliated by being cucked by this Hollywood producer and kid. There's like so many different fucked up flavors to this relationship. And I wonder if we'll know more, but it's like may becomes more and more a tragic character that she goes into this thing, kind of like starlight wanting to do the right thing. And it ends up consuming her life and perverting her into something that she never wanted to be, uh, or like a twisted funhouse version. Yeah. Uh, evil funhouse version of what she wanted to be. No, it's, it's super interesting because I'm not exactly sure where uh, Homelander and Maeve are at right now. Like, cause you know, they're trying to now pair Homelander off with, with Annie with Starlight uh, in, in maybe, maybe like a relationship type of way. I don't know. Um, but th- there's something th- there's a scene where Maeve is like, she gets a call. This might be next episode, but it's all of a piece. Um, she gets. Oh, a call it's this episode. It's yeah. I know what you're, what you're talking about. From her ex, and Homelander walks into the room, and right as she's like hanging up, and there's mm-hmm. this tension in the scene where like you think Homelander's like this this mousetrap where you're like tapping the cheese constantly, yeah. not not intentionally, but like you're you're rubbing up against the cheese, and you never quite know if the mousetrap is ready to spring on you or if it's like. It knows that you're rubbing on the cheese and it's just waiting to get you at the worst possible moment or mm-hmm. or what? Like he's he's there's something in his eyes where he's like constantly either knowing or suspicious. And I can't tell which it is. And Maeve is like playing it as like innocent, but also knowing that he knows something else yeah, is going on but here. She can't and, reveal that because then the trap slams shut on her. Yeah, I. I don't know what it is, but it's really like this tightrope dance that they're doing. Well, it's, the other thing is, good. I don't know if Homelander has super hearing or not. Have they? Because or if like he needs Superman to like focus it right intentionally, because, or if he just hears everything. Yeah, because if Superman walks in his room, I assume he's heard both ends of the conversation. Right. Um, right. Right. So, like, there's enough doubt there, especially when we get to episode three, because there's a couple things that just wouldn't happen if he has super duper hearing. So maybe that's just something he doesn't have. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I it's uh, you're right. There's that crackle with every scene where anyone's got something, a hidden agenda, which in this show is everyone, <laughs> right, is dealing with Homelander because he, none, none of the seven can stand up to him. No one on earth, as far as I know, can. And he's completely paranoid. He's power tripping. He's also mm-hmm. deeply insecure in fundamental fundamental ways. And that's just that's just a fucking terrifying situation to be in. Yeah, um, I also like what they're like, doing with Maeve and her ex um, from a standpoint of like lying to people for their own good because Huey's doing the same with Annie uh, right. throughout these episodes. And I, I think, right. you know, the, like I said, the the themes of like family that they have with the boys and being part of the group and Butcher being kind of like the subversion of that, but also this other theme of like lying to people for their own good. They're, they're roping yeah. characters in large groups into themes that they're playing on here. And it's working. I agree. Me. And I, I think it works a lot better with Maeve because you've got the superhero trying to protect the mortal, which I think works a lot better. And we're conditioned to know like Peter Parker has a, 
secret identity so the Aunt May and MJ doesn't get hurt. And, uh-huh. you know, uh, Clark Kent is around so the Superman can have a normal relationship and not have fucking, uh, you know, de- Dark Side come and kill uh, Lois Lane and, and Jimmy Olsen. So it, it works a lot better when you have a super person trying to take care of a mortal um, and stand between them and, you know, essentially a villain in, in Homelander. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it works pretty good. Uh, shall we move on to like the Starlight A Train show? Because I, I really liked some of these behind the scenes mundane like sketch of a day in the life of a hero where they got to do all these network affiliate reads. Like Girls get you it might done. do a hun- couple hundred in a day. Every local affiliate yeah. station, you know, San Diego, Sandusky. New Mac, uh, uh, Albuquerque, like they all have a, like a little thing, and I thought that was great. And um, that the Starlight and Stormfront and Maeve are supposed to do this press junket because it's the women, and the showing the how you know anytime you it's 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 amazing how rare it is that a star just snaps at one of these because mm-hmm. they do a very good job of showing how fucking inane it is that every single person from every single outlet outlet from the giant ones. To you know, the little podcasts and blogs come in, and they add, they think they're asking their phenomenally interesting question, and it's always the same goddamn thing. Yeah, um, which is one of the things that's it's funny because like realizing that has kind of turned me off trying to interview celebrities mm-hmm. because it's really hard to come up with a, like a unique, interesting spin on their life that you can think of to ask that they haven't been asked a million times and. Yeah. You know, it's super fun when you do that, but holy shit, it's a one in a million shot. But I, I loved all this kind of just like, you know, TMZ style shit that they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Stormfront wh- doing her uh, like Facebook Live, Instagram, whatever she's Periscope, she's yeah. on TikTok, whatever. Yeah, uh, do, doing that stuff at the same time was really cool, too. And talking shit about her own action figure and saying, don't uh, buy this. This is going to be in a landfill. I thought that was cool. And she's got a great scene later in this episode. Uh, the Pippi Longstocking scene. Yeah. Uh, do you want to like, talk about that? Because okay. I also want to feel like, what is the purpose? Why ambush Starlight with A-Train? Or do you think A-Train engineered that? Wait, what are you talking about? Well, A-Train is in a hospital on a ventilator the last time we saw him in the last episode. And this episode, like, you know, they're in the middle of the junket and the E Hollywood Access News TMZ person says, you've been oh, keeping yeah, a prayer yeah. side vigil by his bed. It's like, would you what would you think if he was here right now? And Sonic Boom, he comes in and he's like, hey, I'm a train, everybody. Like, why did Vought, I, I'm trying to think of like mechanically, yeah. did Vought do that to try to figure out? what starlight's loyalty like, but, but it's how so much weird they... because like this is a girls get it done event right like this is supposed it's to be a... the girls but Maeve dipped Maeve out leaves but then a train shows up it's very strange you're right so did like did he just wake up that day and Vought's like hey we need an extra or is it something a train wanted to do because he wanted to like get in there before his homelander or Vought got involved and like get their story straight because that's largely what they do in this episode yeah, yeah like they they kind of feel each other out what do you know what do i know what are you going to say what are the stakes um yeah i don't know i, I don't know who arranged but that but it did feel strange yeah it's maybe a little writerly um with that but it's i don't know i like the uh uh i like the the, the sleight of hand with a v uh-huh. And how Gecko slid it to her in like a tampon case. That was pretty funny. 
and uh, Starlight showing she's got some sleight of hand skills, which I'm not sure where she picked up, but uh, she's good at it. And and her, you know, getting the pep talk from Stormfront about how she needs to not give a shit what people think about her because Pippi Longstocking would bite a D. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, it's did you? Because I remember um, um, back when I was in school, the we read some Pippi Adventures of Pippi Longstocking. So I was somewhat familiar with the character, but I did not remember her as a hero, like a superhero. Like um, maybe I just don't remember it, but she almost seems like a. a an adolescent Popeye, female redheaded Popeye. You know, okay. she's like super strong or something like that. But I, I didn't remember huh. that aspect of her. Um, no, I, I, maybe they, they, maybe she ate some radioactive spinach at some point in mm-hmm. a later adventure that I wasn't privy to, and and she's super powered. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It's also weird. Her when we find out about Stormfront in the next episode, it's weird. Her like fuck the world for confusing nice with good. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she's neither. No, she's no, she's not. And and so like, is she playing? What is she doing with Starlight? She's accusing her of being a phony and not being a real hero and blah blah blah. But she's doing the same. She's keeping up the same front. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's part of her front. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the one thing she is is uh, the one she is thing she is not is a toe the line, you know, corporate stooge. Um. She's going to do whatever the fuck she wants to do. Casualties are not a problem for her. She doesn't care about quotas. She doesn't care about image that Vaught wants her to portray. Like, I feel like she's not a hypocrite in telling her, like, don't give a shit what people think about you. But mm-hmm. she's also, I don't know if she thinks she's good and nice or, or good and not nice, rather. Um, or if she just says this for some ulterior motive. But like, she's, like you said, neither. I, I don't know what her definition of nice or good is. Well, and also like that's the, you know, um, one of the fucked up things is like these like really like, like deeply racist characters a lot of times think they are, you know, saving the world from right. a Jewish conspiracy to dilute the superior race's blood and drag them down. And if that was like literally happening, if there's some insidious like lizard, you know, like if you had the lizards from V uh, trying to fuck with humanity by doing this, that, and the other, like, you know, the hero of the story would be the people fighting that. But what that's just a bullshit fiction. But but I guess under yeah. that framework, maybe she could see is like, well, you know, me telling the truth to powers, including like race realism and talking about IQs and what are we going to do? What's with the question about the Jews? And so I, I, I mean. guess what's like, her definition of good? I don't know. Yeah. Like the fucking Nazi flunkies thought they were saving the world too. So. Mm-hmm. And her name's Stormfront, so we'll talk about that in the next episode. What else have we have? We, have we cleaned up this one pretty good? This episode. Do you got any other uh, points you want to make? No, I think I'm good. Uh, let's move on to number three. Over the hill with the swords of a thousand men. Uh, I had no idea what this meant. It's a very specific title, and it doesn't seemingly have anything to do with the episode. Did you find out anything about this? Uh yeah, I did I did some research and apparently this is a punk rock song from the 80s out of the UK that I'd never heard of before, but it looks like it's a kind of like, you know, a punk rock drinking fighting song and um it's a fight about it's set in medieval times and it's literally like people in a castle getting loaded, getting hammered and smashed and getting themselves worked up to go out in a battle and then they go and they fight and then they win. Um Okay. So it's kind of like Chumbawamba tub thumping, only with a thousand swords. <laughs> Perfect. 
<laughs> that that kind of same same kind of energy. Well, I like um, the music they're using better than that. So yeah, uh, mostly they've been done. They've done good use of music this season. I thought like the uh, the, yeah. the first episode under pressure, opening and closing with uh, Huey feeling that. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. good. The Billy Joel was a little confusing until we got to this episode, and then I was like, "Okay, yeah." Right. When when I fired this up, I thought, "Well, something's <laughs> gone wrong on the Amazon databases. Something's right. misingested." I've got this like old, it felt like an old Mentos commercial starting up, and uh-huh. what the hell, Billy Joel? And this also, the I did some research into this um, Second Wind uh, song. You're only human. and yeah. you're only human. Uh, because it's this weird upbeat song about don't kill yourself, man. Things are going to get okay. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Apparently, Billy Joel had a lot of suicidal idea- uh, ideation that he got through and overcame uh, oh, wow. some dark periods of his time. And he wanted to write this to like tell the other young people that like you should never give up because you never know what will ha- happen later on in life. Yeah. Um, but two things happened. One of his bandmates made ruthless fun of the title second wind which is why it got changed to you're only human and then uh he also like wrote the music to a much more somber soundtrack but then he thought like well this is actually even more depressing so he changed it up to have like an upbeat pop but it just i love you billy Hmm. um but yeah, I don't know that the, the the tonal whiplash crash. Like, imagine Phil Collins in the air tonight. Only it's an upbeat pop number because I think that's what you got here. You 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 got you got a you got a suicidal person dressed in a clown suit, and mm-hmm. that's what this song is. And it's just like it's like ah ah, it's, it's uncanny valley business. And the video, okay, the, the video so I read like the dancing interview. on the edge of this. Br- what is it? I read I read the video I read the interview with Billy Joel where he explains about all this stuff but then it's like well yeah, okay fine but having said all this then you went on stage shot this video uh-huh. <laughs> so well, come on I don't know maybe maybe yeah. if everyone if everyone had a harmonica playing Billy Joel show up right before they jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge no one would do it and mm-hmm. that's the lesson of the story uh, it's 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 giving it's giving Huey life in this episode right. Um, because he's in a really thing. dark place. He's in a really dark place with with Butcher. Yeah, uh, Butcher just whipped his ass. Well, he um, he was in a really dark place with Robin. You know, like after Robin was killed, like he went right. He spiraled down, man. And then I feel yep. like it was when he found Annie. You know, that's that's the second win. It's exactly what he's saying here. It's like, yeah, he he could have just like given up then. Um, but he's he's starting to feel like he's got something to fight for again. Yeah, and I like how they've got this. Uh, the The boys never feel safe. Like they're out here in this no. boat in like semi international waters, and all they got to do is wait for a couple hours for their CIA handlers to come out here and take uh, possession of this terrorist. And it's like, what could be easier? They've essentially won. But Frenchie's horny for Kamiko, and uh, he lets slip a Red Bull that this guy's able to get a finger out of the thing, and uh, yeah. Then the NYPD somehow get a hard on for finding this boat and are able to track it down, which I thought like, wow, I guess I, that's the thing. Like if someone stole my boat, I would never, ever get any, you know, I, I got a $1,500 12 foot sailboat. Uh, yeah. You steal a $50 million yacht. NYP, 
NYPD will will actually, you know, do some police work and maybe get on the radar and work with the Coast Guard to find your ass. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and that's what's exactly happened. But it's just like always like this one damn thing happens after another. The super terrorist gets out, tries to kill Billy. Then the FBI show up. F- the, not the FBI. The, the NYPD show up. They get splashed. Aquaman joins in the party. It's just like, I don't know. There's something that tickles me about them never being safe. And just when you think they're winning, they're losing. Yeah, and it doesn't end there, right? Like they, they go into this drain pipe. They're running for their lives. They, you got Homelander on your ass now. It's it's frightening. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I do I do really enjoy like the pacing of the show. I think they constantly keep it moving, and you know, as one door is closing behind them, another is opening in front of them, and and they never. Even when they, you know, go out to Sandusky and they're dealing with the deep stuff, I don't feel like that stuff is unwarranted. I always feel like it's coming back, and it does in this episode, right? Like, in the most spectacular way possible. We always have, like, a dolphin scene or, uh, in this case, a whale scene where they just drive this fucking boat right into the whale. And then, in boys' fashion, they don't just do it and it's done. They do it. And they literally sit in it for a while and let you view the carnage from the inside out. It's incredible. And then went for broke on the practical. I mean, everything about this is yeah. cool because like there, I, I think it started happening like Batman Brave and the Bold animated series where like Aquaman's public image started to be re- rehabilitated. And now it's kind of like weird to think of Aquaman as a weak dude since everyone, since Jason Momoa started playing him and he's got okay. 38 inch biceps and he's like essentially Superman except for underwater. And he can yeah. talk to, like it, it. You can see the tear, like, you know, if you have a whole pack of killer whale after a boat, that's pretty intimidating. And they have the deep where he's like on top of the sperm whale and he does this cool fishtail onto the, the beach and like blocks him off their escape path. And he strikes the heroic pose with the music <laughs> swelling behind them. And this at this point, it's like it's exactly like a standalone Aquaman adventure against some eco terrorist or whatever. And then it takes a left turn at the Boysville. Yeah. With Butcher getting this demented look on his face and just shoving the boat's engine full throttle and impaling this whale. And I, yeah. as soon as I saw it, like I'm like, wow, they really went all in on this practical whale effect mm-hmm. just to have these guys scramble out of it. But then I realized that, no, they're not done. Like you yeah. said, they're going to live in this whale for a couple, <laughs> good couple of minutes. Have some... yeah. Hearts to hearts by the still slowly dying, beating whale heart that they're standing next to. God, it's ah, this is why you love the show. You never yeah. in a million years like this is some Deadpool shit that they get up to. Uh, yeah, there's there's just nothing like it on TV. Uh, the boys is willing to go to the extremes in violence and like this comic violence. That's like I'm not even disgusted by it because uh, it's just meant to be funny. Uh I don't know. I've I've not really seen anything like this outside of really schlocky horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like this tonal clash of like these good guys who are supposed to be good guys, but they're bad guys. And then they're also causing extreme violence and gore. I just love it. I want to talk about this thing going on the A train. It started the last episode too. the fact that he's having are these miniature heart attacks? Are these panic attacks? Are these V withdrawals he's going through? What is your take on his performance failure slash health condition? 
Yeah, seems like it's a heart thing to me. It's just overloading his cardiovascular system um, from all this V. Do you think there is something? Because I, I thought maybe it was a V withdrawal because he's trying, like, I don't think he can get V anymore because, you know, his his girlfriend that he murdered last season was his huh. supplier, right? So yeah, I hadn't be, considered that. Because, you know, the fact that he was kind of slowing down a tick anyway and he's still using his powers and now he's not taking it, like... Is this kind of like a oh, we're we're gonna be treated into like a heroin withdrawal type of plot line with this guy? This guy getting clean and sober. I guess I was just assuming it was a follow on from last season when he was overdosing essentially on this stuff. But right, it could right. be the inverse now. Like he could be you know coming down hard. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I uh, big question mark I had on that. Um, we also get something in. When when Butcher's on the boat and he's talking to the CIA lady, um, the colonel, she asks him about an old suit named Liberty. Mm-hmm. You got anything on that? Nothing. That's just the. I mean, I imagine if you've read the comic books, it probably because you might know something. But I, I I was wondering if that was something that rang any particular bell and how it would, or if it's just right now, just something you're supposed to notice as a clue, perhaps a red herring, but. Uh, Maybe. That's definitely something my ears picked up on. Yeah, I think they're setting something up. There's also, I really like the, there's some interesting thematic and foreshadowing work they're doing with Kamiko and her brother um, that, you know, she talks about like, hey, I'm your big sister and I'm watching out for you and I'm always the one saving you. And he's like, actually, you remember that one time where you stole food out of the food closet and I took the punishment for it and they broke my hands in mm-hmm. this episode, that 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 has a greater fulfillment when uh, Stormfront breaks his hands, and then Kamiko is able to get get away clean. So he's he's saved her once again. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's a truly tragic story. Uh, and you can see the the anger and and hatred in her eyes when she's seeing Stormfront getting all that press at the end for saving the day, right? Oh yeah. And the other thing that's interesting is that she can't fully trust. Butcher and his team, because her ears are fine. That's the other thing they revealed in this episode when uh, the brother had the heart to heart with Frenchie is that she's psychologically mute. Mm -hmm. Uh, She stopped talking when her parents were killed in front of them and they developed this like custom twin sign language. We that means that when she came down the staircase and heard Butcher finishing up with the the phone call with the lady and saying that, like, oh, if if she turns rogue, I can eliminate her. She heard that. It's not like she's deaf. So she's kind of a woman without a country right now, or at least fully a home. Yeah. Yeah. If she didn't already feel uncomfortable enough around the guy who was trying to murder her brother. Yeah, (laughs) I could see it. Um, there's also an interesting bit. what did you make of like um, Huey getting all this kudos from mother and Frenchie for, you know, putting a legitimate thorn in bot side? Yeah. Uh, you know, I felt like a, a Huey seems like a real dipshit that he has to like, like he wants butcher to give him a kiss on both cheeks for doing this, even though he put his wife's, you know, life in danger. Like I, I felt like 
Huey, it felt it felt uncharacteristic for even Huey, but even for Mother and Frenchie to be that all in on like, yeah, man, you said nice one. You should do something more. You should get him like a fucking gift certificate to Applebee's or something like this. There should be some more recognition here. It's like what I, I was kind of on Butcher's side and I don't usually feel that way. Like, what, what the fuck? Hmm. Really good one then. I, I mean, yeah, that, that's the question. Like, I, I don't know what he's going to do in this moment, right? Like, mm-hmm. high five him, celebrate with him. But that's not Butcher. That's not the guy he is. I don't. I mean, maybe they know something about Butcher and his past, and he used to be this guy who could celebrate a win, um, yeah. even when it wasn't his own win. But like, I don't know, Butcher. You know, ha- hasn't that doesn't get him any closer to where he wants to be with his family, right? And I. Or with Becca. And I I feel like that's the thing that's on his mind. And so when he's like, nice one, he's congratulating him for the win for for like M.M.'s win, right? Because M.M. might be able to go back to his family sooner than he thought. Um, But yeah, I I don't know what he's supposed to do in this moment. But also I get the sentiment like we're all celebrating here and high fiving and chest bumping. Why aren't you doing that with us? Because this is a win for all of us. I don't know. Uh, well, they're, they're, nobody's th- wrong here. It's just yeah, nobody's one hundred percent right either. No, it's it's frustrating because the other thing is I think the butcher sees the downside is like, well, now we've got an even bigger target on our back because you you did yeah. this with Starlight, which means you're connected to us, which means we're going to be you know minor inconvenience to like maybe public enemy number one pretty soon, which is something that like Mother connects those dots too. Like he mentions mm-hmm. that like you know you doing this with Starlight is going to get her killed because yeah. if uh, she's not careful and she comes under the watchful eye of Homelander, she's fucked. And yeah. Homelander being who he is, like I, I thought that's something they did really effectively in the first episode. Like he does this like supersonic flyby that like, like shocks like Huey and has him put as a hood up because he could be anywhere. He could be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, does he have supervision? Is he like Brandon Roth where he can just go into low earth orbit and close his eyes and know instinctively where the, the you know, Huey could be if he wanted to like, that's a, it's terrifying. So like, yeah, uh, I'm glad that you brought Vought down, but also we're trying to do some personal shit for ourselves and you're, you, you, you're not telling anybody that you're doing this and you're kind of doing it on your own and you want an attaboy for it. Yeah. Also that complicates it. First three episodes, funniest butcher quote ever. The whole like, I'll tell you what, when all this is over, I'll buy a big bucket of top shelf lube and I'll tickle your balls until you beg me to stop. But then I won't. I just won't do it. <laughs> I, this, this, it cracks me up, man. It's been that 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 quote's yeah. been getting a lot of play in our house uh, the last few days. It's great. But um, I don't know. This is the episode where like I felt like all the boys kind of got on each other's bad side. Like Butcher's on the outs because he alienated Huey. Frenchie's on the outs because he's thinking with his dick and almost got everybody killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mother's kind of on the outs because he's sticking up for Huey, which pisses off Butcher. But he makes this case that, uh, you know, Huey's your emotional canary. Which what do you think yeah. about that? I mean, I think that's right. I think you see it in this in this and several other episodes, you know, like when you've gone too far, they're not talking about like when you've, you know, pursued the case too far, gone to the wrong lead. They're talking about when you've emotionally broken everyone around you. Right. Like that's the thing. Huey's the the most sensitive of them. But, you know, M.M. and Frenchie are not that far behind. So if if he falls, that's the first domino. And you should be looking at yourself and going, okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm pushing too hard. Yeah. 
And then, you know, everyone's got stakes now. You know, Huey's got his relationship with uh, Starlight. Mother's got his relationship with his family. Frenchie's got his relationship. Well, I'm not even sure if it's a relationship with Kamiko. Does Kamiko even aware that he's hot for her? I I think so. Yeah. Um. Is she? What is she? How does she feel about him? Like indifferent. Yeah. Everyone's got everyone got these stakes. That they're afraid to lose things. And Butcher acts like he's kind of the only one. And I think that act is running as 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 bad as the team feels for him. And as much as they all hate Homelander, um, the primacy of his mission was starting to piss everyone off. And I thought there's a hint at the end of this episode where he takes a look at you know, this this tabletop menu that he scratched all these details on before he forgot them, and he folds it up and kind of puts it back in a cigar box. I think that's the way this episode's way of telling us that Butcher's going to be more of a team player now. Yeah. He's not forgetting about what he needs to do with Becca, but keeping everyone else safe and getting everyone else back to there has to be something he plays more than just lip service for. Mm. And what's interesting is I think you're supposed to realize through the lens of his discussion with the Colonel where he shows up at that funeral and he lays his big guilt trip on her about like, Oh, you know, do it for Rainer. And she's like, fuck you, Billy. You don't give a shit about Rainer. All you want is you're fucked and you're in an impossible position and you need me mm-hmm. and you're using me. I don't think that mother and Frenchie and Huey had made that connection yet, but I think that's what he was doing and him putting the menu away. I think is the show saying that he's going to try you know, like you said, fake leveling last time, he's actually going to try to be a little bit more honest and straightforward and, and respect the team more. Yeah, whether he can actually do that, uh, you know, get over the the personality he currently has and change that is yet to be seen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't I don't like his chances, let's just say. Yeah, me either. Um it's interesting to see how they're gonna keep the deep Twitter pated with the Scientology cult because mm. You know, L. Ron Hubbard called and said that this is his ticket into the seven and it blows up in a spectacular fashion. Not only does Homelander just give him superficial reassurance. Oh, yeah, sure, buddy. We'll get you right back on the seven. Oh, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, we already have seven. Sorry. But he also body shames him, like brings back all the worst stuff. Yeah. Um, and this mission has been an epic failure in a very psychologically devastating way to him. Are they going to get him to come back to the Elrond table or what? Yeah, I wonder if he's going to just change his mind on even wanting to be in the seven. Because like I talked about mm. that feedback loop, right? Where like the external becomes the internal and vice versa. So like mm-hmm. he might just decide, look, Homelander and the body shaming that that is the overt body shaming here is what's causing or at least feeding back into the problems I already have. So like yeah. I don't need it. I don't want it. Like the the seven is cool but me being a whole human being uh is cooler i don't know i guess they could just dispose of the deep at this point oh yeah i mean he's expendable but I'm certainly not, i'm not sure i, I did oh because I, I was just thinking like i'm not sure what the fascination for the the church of the center or whatever the scientology's uh stand in is but then i realized that's one of scientology's big things is they do recruit high profile yeah. a-listers to make themselves look good tom cruise um and others <laughs> and others yeah uh, john uh travolta, travolta yeah john travolta and the many others that are in scientology publicly but yeah like they've got like this low tier guy and they're using him to try to get to the next tier um, and, and yeah it's i mean it's working right um where do you go from yeah. the deep can you get 
I don't know. Does he have friends? He doesn't have friends. So I don't know Not where right they now. go from there. Yeah. But you know, you gain clout with every you get Shamu. hero you bring. You go in. from the beat. You go from the deep, and he recruits Shamu. And uh, <laughs> you, get, you get you work your way up to Flipper. And now you got something. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> Willie. Willie's um, next. I like Homelander's increasing exasperation with everyone on his team. Like last episode, he. I don't know if it's real or not, but he talks about, you know, you and me, Maeve, we're the rock, we're blah, blah, blah. But like, he's very, he's, he's, he's tired of a train and his performance failures and that kind of bullshit. He's over the deep. And now he's got a grudge against, well, then he finds out that starlight is on some level still fucking with this Huey guy was going to force her to kill him. And I'm like, man, how are they going to get out of this? Um, when Kamiko's brother drops a literal subway on top of him. Uh-huh. But then Stormfront goes rogue and disobeys a direct order from Homelander to, to save the super terrorist for him, causes massive collateral damage, kills every minority that she can get her hands on, mm-hmm. uh, throws a couple ethnic slurs, tears this guy's arms off, and then plays the good guy in front of the press conference and uses the this, you know, like, oh, we're not the real heroes. Let's give it up for the first responders. Turns her back to clap. And the only reason she did that is so she could shine Homelander on. Um, is she another in the Stan Edgar class where it's like, is she sure, are we sure she knows what she's doing? Like, yeah, oh, she's powerful, hmm. but is she Homelander powerful? Because she gives no fucks about p- shitting on his movie ideas not giving him the full credit yeah. that he craves, uh, challenging his leadership, challenging his personal uh, power. Like, is she way more powerful than we think? It's, that's a damn good question. It's like the number one question I had coming out of this episode about her. Like, what what does she want out of this relationship? Because she has, she's clearly fucking with Homelander. Um and I can't tell if that's just like she generally fucks with people. Um, she doesn't give a mm-hmm. shit about what people think about her. And so that comes across as being a bitch or fucking with people, manipulative, whatever. Uh, but then I look at why she would want to be in the seven, if that's the case. Why does she care about the seven? Hmm. Um, well, you know, maybe she's a Stan also... Edgar appointee, but also what's in it for her? Uh, and, and I don't think these are questions with answers yet. But I'm looking yeah. forward to the rest of the season, seeing how that plays out, because there's a power dynamic here and there's a motivational dynamic that I don't quite understand yet. If I squint, I can see a little bit of Madeline with this, that she because she's also kind of flirtatious with him at the big, you know, when Stan Edgar goes, you know what? I don't go uh-huh. down to the 99th floor often enough and you guys are valuable, blah, blah, blah. And Homelander gives the whole we're family and fuck Vought and all that kind of stuff. And she expresses approval but with a very kind of uh, flirtatious kind of intriguing and i wonder if he's she's trying because edgar's put her up to it or because this is something she somehow learned in her investigations of the seven because she you know she knew enough to call bullshit on all their fakey you know being out there with the troops bullshit yeah um but i wonder if she's trying to set up that kind of like weird psychosexual love hate relationship that it's essentially she's a super powered madeline could be, um, and she sees yeah. that as you know her you, you way into ingratiating herself in a group. I don't know, but it's like like Mr. Edgar. It's a fucking dangerous game you're playing yeah. with him. The more dangerous, the better the game, uh, in my opinion, when it comes to television. So bring it on. Yeah, 
Um, what do we think of uh, Homelander and his kid? Because I, when he dumped the, the kid off the, the roof, I kind of thought like this kid might be dead. And this was going to make, you know, once the fascination of the kid's not there, then Becca's like super va- uh, vulnerable. But I mean, no, this, this is like, this is like, I, I, I don't, this is a dangerous game for everybody. Like, okay, yeah. Homelander and his son together teamed up could be fucking uh, the worst nightmare the earth has ever seen. It mm-hmm. could also be that the kid is Homelander's worst nightmare. Like, Homelander's not looking far enough ahead and saying, oh boy, if I turn this kid into a monster, the monster might eventually fucking Frankenstein me, right? <laughs> like, right. Th- this shit could get dangerous for me because it's the only force on the planet that could possibly challenge me. Well, we talked about that in the preview, how Homelander is so arrogant that he can't conceive of a, you know, him fucking around a V uh, causing something that's greater than him that he can't oppose or that his progeny yeah. could out outdo him be more powerful than him mm-hmm. he sees that as something like he said luke skywalker vader well what happens when you know luke chops off your arm and joins the emperor yeah joins stan edgar or oh shit maybe that's stan maybe that's what stan edgar's ha- hoping for uh-huh. that like if if homelander fucks with this kid that he can call on this kid to rein his old man in at some point yeah, I mean, the game has Alienate changed now them. that Homelander knows about the kid. So he's going to have yeah. to, if he doesn't have a plan for that, he's going to have to develop one real quick. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know, that whole impassioned speech about where Homelander, because like, how much of the Seven knows what a bastard he is? Like, does the Seven have an open secret with each other? Because I felt like that him and Translucent and Maeve all had an understanding and A-Train and even the Deep and... Uh, but yeah. it's weird because in this boardroom, when he's opposing Stan Edgar, it's very much like, you know, companies come and go, talent is forever. Let's go out there and take this ter- terrorist down because we're heroes and that's what we do. It's a very, like, something you do for public consumption. Is he playing for Stormfront and Starlight because he doesn't know about how cool they're with? He hasn't co-opted them yet? Or, like, I'm not sure if he's playing rah, for rah that. for because there there might be two guys and and they all know the two different guys like Homelander when he's for Homelander is just a bastard um but also Homelander is the leader of the 7 and the 7 as a unit are is everyone you know and they're perceived as a certain thing and so he's talking not about like oh this will benefit us all individually but also it kind of does because it benefits the collective that is the 7 and mm. you know we've got a public image to uphold I don't know. I mean, certainly I don't think they're in on him, you know, spreading compound V around the world to create super T's, uh, yeah. soup T's. I, I think like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't think they've shown us enough about their relationship to know exactly how the other bunch of the seven feel about him. You know, it, it's still like something they're exploring and I'm okay going along this journey with them. Plus, we got two new members, so that's kind of already yeah. in flux anyway. You know, speaking of this messaging we're talking about, I thought it was interesting how they set up Homelander, that he's got like some keen insights about how people feel about heroes. Like They had this, um, I'm not sure if it's this episode or last one, where they have uh, this focus group where they're talking about, do you like super terrorists? No, that makes me, well, how about super villain? Oh, that's much better. And that's the thing that he's been stumping for. But then they say, mm-hmm. you know, together we protect the world versus together we protect America. 
the public liked the world, the more global inclusive one, but Homelander said, nah, nah, they're wrong. What do you, what are they telling us about his instincts? Are his instincts good or does he have blind spots or is he got the ability to shape personal opinion? Cause I think, um, and then what does he, that's the other thing is like, what does he care about personal opinion? Like what, what does yeah, he I care about I'm, money? The right. fame, all that kind of stuff. Or is that something where like Homelander is starting or they're telling the story of Homelander realizing like, why am I doing any of this stuff? Why don't I just rule yeah. everyone like a God? Uh, it certainly could yeah, just, be just, telling the, the beginnings of that story. Feels like, like it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna general Zod. Everyone kneel mm-hmm. before me. Starting with the U.S. president, I'm gonna get everyone kneeling and kissing the ring, and then I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be a god, and you guys will do that. Like I, it's so weird because his ambition seems crazy lofty, but also somewhat petty and pointless for a person with the with as much power as he apparently has. Yeah, no, that's a good question, and it seems like his work uh, spreading Compound V is the exact antithesis of being the God that he wants to be because he's creating other gods. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he sees that as some like power trip to being able to create other supervillains. But yeah, I I don't know, man, this, this guy is so messed up. I don't, I don't know what he's thinking at any given moment. Really. When Homelander demands that starlight kills Huey, Starlight do that? Like, if Butcher doesn't show up and drop a subway like on him. Um, the the um, only other option I, here is for her to turn her powers on Homelander, and yeah, I don't think that goes well. I don't think so either, but again, I'm not quite sure, because they haven't revealed any weakness of Homelander so far, and I'm curious to see what, you know, this goes into the whole conversation we had about Stan Edgar. Does, yeah. Is he on V? Is there an anti-V that you can <laughs> get, like, uh, that they can put in some breast milk? To get this guy to ingest it so that mm-hmm. it depowers him. Like, what is this? What is the thing that's going to put put Homelander in check? And I just, I just, I just don't see it. I'll say I feel like I would be a little disappointed if they went with an anti V. If they went with a kryptonite, it seems a little too simple, mm. a little too easy. Uh, it changes the equation in a way that I don't like. Yeah, because I want to plain... see the the natural consequences of dealing with a superhuman being like this when you don't have the advantage of some crippling rock or something that you can just string around his neck and throw him in a pool. That's, that's too easy. Yeah. I think I agree with you, but on the other hand, when you're doing this much subversion, sometimes playing it's trope straight could be useful too, but it's, I guess it depends on, you know what they do with it. Um, I do love the exchange between Billy and Homelander when he's like, Oh, I had a great breakfast with your wife this morning. She made pancakes. They were delicious. And he does, Anthony Starr does this crazy tongue thing in the yeah. middle of delicious. I don't know how you do it. My tongue's not that, I'm not super powered. But it's like so fucking gross and funny at the same time. Yeah, that dude, he's uh, spectacular in this. Yeah. And also they, they had this little throwaway scene where the corporate lawyers are like losing their shit as Edgar's kind of like pondering things. And they're saying, like, you know, there's a high risk, high reward strategy of denying everything. But if we're found out, it can be 10 times worse. We all go to jail or we can just mea culpa and blah, blah, blah. Well, at the end of the episode, Mr. Edgar goes all in on the deny. It's a small. Yeah, he does both. Team of disaffect. Personally, personally denies. Yeah. uh, But then cast the blame, you know, mea culpas on the organization, right? Like the small group of disaffected scientists led by the rogue uh, VP Madeline. Yeah. Yeah, throwing a dead person all the, under the bus, scapegoating her. Yeah, it's pinning all the deaths that Stormfront caused on the super terrorists. Um, 
yeah, yeah. there's going to be that's that's all going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I really enjoyed the deeps. Um, he's talking about getting weepy with his uh, Scientology auditor, and he's like, you know, I'll start when I was a kid, and I went into a pet store, and the goldfish were all begging for their lives, and then we went to Red Lobster, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just thought great. that that was that's pretty low stakes, stupid shit to have him say. Mm-hmm. Um, I also noticed in all three of these episodes, they had this kind of like Alexandria, Focasia, Cortez kind of like lookalike. Uh, this young congresswoman who's calling bullshit on the system and expressing mm. deep uh, skepticism about American adventures overseas and uh, um, also that the, the, them getting cozier and cozier with the supers in the military. I wonder if she's going to be lasered down in a private plane like we saw with the senator that kind of opposed the the merger last season or what they're building her up to be. Yeah. Because they keep on, you know, like like there's a couple of these things that keep coming up in the little background TV things, these that background elements that, that I think are going to be important later on. So I'm keeping my eye on her. Um, but yeah, I guess what the most of the other stuff is like, I want to discuss how they might keep Homelander check, but I think we've done all that. Whether yeah, I we think, think his kids Stormfront, gonna be a key to that. Yeah. And the Stormfront, like if you didn't get what I was talking about, you know, Stormfront is the name of the leading uh like newsletter, easing forum site for neo Nazis online. And Portland has been kind of a bit of a you know, Portland has this reputation of being insanely liberal, but uh Oregon as a state is pretty red, and there's a lot of people in the surrounding uh neighborhoods and surrounds of Portland that have had enough of that shit. And it's kind of a hotbed of, um, you know, super right wing, uh, you know, proud, you know, like, like different organizations. Um, and you're seeing that come to a head in the protests and stuff where increasingly it seems like it's protesters versus and rioters versus, you know, proud boys and militia types with the cops kind of like cracking down on the one and turning a blind eye to the other. So pretty broad and on the nose but also current and relevant uh i'm very there, curious yeah to see. there's no way they could have been influenced by current events because that's just right like Plus, this they book was written filming years before ago, this the whole protest stuff happened so yeah and i i think stormfront is in the comic books and the comic books have been out for a couple oh, okay. of years so um, but the storm, yeah, Stormfront Portland. That stuff's been brewing. If you've been paying attention to the kind of you know stuff, as has been been brewing for several years now. So it's just kind of happy coincidence, sad coincidence, depressing coincidence that it's like coming to a head right as the boys are are coming out here. But I'm curious to see what they do with her as a because on the surface it's I don't know, kind of one note, one dimensional to have like a person who seems like they're super nice and progressive and whatnot, but they're secretly a Nazi. Yeah. You know, what can you do with that? Um, there's there's no daylight to really run right on Homelander for crazy. So you just make. But but that, that's things like I feel like Homelander's pr- probably racist. He's certainly ableist. I mean, his, you know? yeah, but the race that he's racist against is the entirety of humanity. Like that's the non soups, right? Like or, or, yeah, really mortals. even all the soups too. just not yeah, himself. Any anyone that's not a god. He's, right, he's against. Yeah, you're right. He's racist against the human race. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to put it. Um, but there you go. I don't know. There's a. The, I, th- I thought it was really enigmatic the performance Anthony Starr is giving about Stormfront because when she says, "Well, you snooze, you lose," Gramps, and there's this long shot of him 
building into I don't frustration, rage, uh, impotence, uh, arousal. Like there's a little bit of all that stuff going in with him, and he's just so good at playing this fucking super psychopath. Yeah, that's about all that I got. Do you got anything else for this? These th- these uh, triplets of episodes? No, man, I'm good. Feel like I fought a army with a thousand swords at the end of this mm-hmm. uh but now this thing is is like i've been waiting for a whole fucking week i've been in the position of, of the listener waiting yeah. to plow into episode four of the boys and i can do it now that we're done but, with the podcast only only four not five i got it <laughs> like, yeah that's I, the thing i just want to binge this whole freaking season and i you know kudos on amazon for not putting it out that way because they certainly could have and they've done right. that with past shows like the expanse and i think it just kills all the conversation that happens around it, all of the fun that we have as fans, you know, questioning, like, what are Stormfront's motivations? What's Homelander going to do? Well, we would know all that shit if they just dropped it, and it'd be, it's just boring. It's just boring to do it that way. Yeah, and for the sake of the podcast, we are going to restrain ourselves and do things week to week before we record things because we don't want to get ahead and be accused of, uh, you know, have informed speculation and whatnot. Um but if you've got some thoughts about the episode or some thoughts about the season coming on ahead, uh, just keep in mind that Jim and I haven't read the comics. So if you're a comic book fan, please keep those spoilers out because that's not interesting. Just read a page ahead and tell everybody what the story is happening. Don't, don't be like that. Uh, but you can send that email in to DHS at baldmove.com and we'll consider it at the end of each episode. Also, keep in mind we have forums, forums.baldmove.com if you want to get with our fellow fans and discuss the episodes in more of a real-time uh, cafeteria style. Uh, before we go, there's one fun opportunity that we have since we had these, um, you know, screeners that we could watch in advance. Um, we want to, if you're listening to this on the Friday that it's released this Friday night, we're going to go on twitch.tv slash bald move. And this is an Amazon prime original. So we can do a watch party with everyone who is a prime video, uh, user, uh, if you have Amazon prime, you can go on the Twitch and it takes about 30 seconds to link those accounts together. And then you can watch along with us. So we're going to host a watch party for these three initial episodes on Friday night. I don't know exactly when we're going to start. Check out baldmove.com for the details. Uh, actually, um, yeah. If you go to twitch.tv slash baldmove, uh, you can just, what, sub sub to our channel, follow us there, yeah. and you'll get a notification when we go live. Yeah, we'll probably start somewhere between 7 and 9 Eastern Standard Time. We'll, we'll have all this worked up, but we're recording this like a week and a half in advance. Uh, by the time you hear this, there should be more information out on our social media, uh, you know, at Bald Move everywhere um, for that kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, twitch.tv slash Bald Move. We're going to host a, a live watch party for the first three episodes. And it's nothing we've never been able to do before because, you know, it's premiere. We got to see it in advance. Uh, we should yeah. be able to... There's always when we do watch things the first time through and doing a live watch, it's like hard to get much out of it because we're trying to make jokes and keep people entertained. But it should be nice because we've seen these multiple times. We can have some maybe some fight insightful things to say. We can have some funny things to say. And uh, yeah, if you've seen it once, you kind of want to come by and see it again or you're seeing it for the first time. Check it out at Bald Move. I'm sorry, at twitch.tv slash Bald Move. And again, details will be at baldmove.com and on social media. So that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back for, again, scene-by-scene scene recap-style coverage starting next week with Episode 4. And we hope to see you then. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you later. <laughs>